Calvary Chapel was started many, many years ago, and 1965 was when Chuck first, Pastor Chuck Smith, first began, uh, we took over a small church, and, and, uh, and the Lord began to grow it, eventually becoming Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and uh, most of you are probably aware that Pastor Chuck, uh, at the age of 86, went home to be with the Lord on Thursday, and we had actually, I, I had myself earlier in the week had the privilege to uh, get together with about 25 Calvary Chapel pastors uh, up in the mountains. We gather once a year, uh, just the Virginia Calvary pa pastors and some from North Carolina. We let them come too. Um, but uh, a few from North Carolina, some from Virginia, most from Virginia. And we just gather to encourage each other, pray with each other, strengthen each other, allow the Lord to minister to us. Pastor Sandy Adams came up from Georgia and uh, and just kind of moderated and, and shared with us. And, and Sandy gave us the news on Monday. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I knew Chuck has been battling with cancer since 2011, and I knew he was in stage four cancer, and we've been praying for a miracle. But Sandy gave us the, the word on Monday that um, he had called, and uh, Sandy, of course, has closer access to Chuck than uh, low-level guys like me have. So he called, uh, he called there and and. Uh, was able to talk to uh, people very close to Chuck's situation and find out that uh, Chuck was given late last week by the doctors only weeks to live. And so we found this out on Monday, and uh, that was heavy on our hearts. And, uh, but Chuck had received uh, a transfusion of fluids and promptly went out <laughs> over the weekend and preached three services. At the age of 86, with an oxygen tube in his nose... And then he sat down and preached sitting. But I, I don't know if we have the pictures, Alex, of the... Um, uh, you can go ahead and pull them up now if we have them. But uh, the picture here is Chuck at his, the last service he preached this past Sunday a week ago today. He's wearing his tie. He's got his suit on. He's got the oxygen in his nose. Chuck didn't... The word retirement was not in his vocabulary. You know, not, not retiring and... And golfing the end of his days away, I mean, it was just to pour out the Word of God. And that was, that was his desire, was that he would be used with his very last breath. Uh, you see some of the, the things of the ministry over the years. I mean, he was in 60-plus years of ministry. Uh, but there he was on that, that's, that picture. That picture is his last Sunday, the very last time he preached. Uh, no one there knew, although some people in the service actually had tears, I guess some kind of sensed. Uh, not everybody did, but some people were, and, and little did anyone know for certain. Remember, the doctor said weeks. Chuck didn't mention this to anybody. Uh, the only ones that I know that knew this were some of the pastors that had been shared with around the country, but it was not announced that he only had weeks to live. And then uh, we gathered on Wednesday night, our Wednesday night, praise the Lord, our Wednesday night, first Wednesday night was, was a prayer night. We prayed for Pastor Chuck, and at 3 in the morning, Thursday, he passed. 3 in the morning on the 3rd. Uh, he went to be home with the Lord. And so, uh, if you will, I want you to turn with me to three places. Uh, I don't often just change my teaching uh, based on someone passing. The only other time that I've done that is when my sister died two years ago uh, that I can remember. Uh, but I believe that the Lord would have me do this. So turn with me to three, we'll just go in order. First, turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32.
Moses is coming to the end of his life, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Not the end of living. He'll get to stand there with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, won't he? The end of his life on earth. Chuck, Chuck said, you know, when I pass, they say I'm dead. Don't believe it. That I'm alive with the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Look at, uh, look at verse, starting in verse 44, uh, starting in verse 45, that is. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 45. Moses finished speaking all these words to Israel. And he said to them, set your hearts... On all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall observe in your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. In other words, all the words of God. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land whence you cross over the Jordan to possess. You know, Chuck would later... Uh, his ministry would be called the Word for Today. And it was the Word for Moses' day, and it's still the Word for our day. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's exhorting the Ephesians. He's, he's headed back to Jerusalem. Uh, the Holy Spirit's already let Paul know that this will be the last time he uh, will see these folks uh, and he's on the last leg of his journey, if you will, in life. Not the very last of his days just yet, but again, uh, it's the last time he'll see these uh, particular folks. And he says, and starting in verse uh, 24, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor will I count my life dear to myself that I may, that I may finish my race. We all have an individual race, that I may finish my race with joy, joy. That's Chuck. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God not just parts of it, but everything that God had to declare. Verse 28, Therefore take heed among yourselves and to the flock, and among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day, with tears. So now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's words to the Ephesians, as he knows he's parting from them, they will not be seeing him again. And then the last place, uh, Philippians 3.17, just real quickly there, one verse, Philippians 3.17. Paul speaking, Pressing towards the citizenship of heaven, he says in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the work and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, there's nothing uh, worthwhile to come from me or even from any of us, Lord, but 
that which comes from your throne, that which comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, that is to be treasured and to be understood and to be followed and listened to. Lord, we pray that you would speak and that we would hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was, um, even this morning, the uh, Lord put on my heart to, uh, to share this message. I was, you know, I'll talk to the Lord very uh, conversationally. I'm like, Lord, what if I'm the only Calvary pastor that lays aside the verse-by-verse study of God's Word to really focus for just to reflect for a little bit on what you did and the life of Chuck? Now, f- fortunately, I doubt I'm the only one doing this today out of uh, many Calvary pastors around the world. I I doubt I'm the only one. I'm sure there's others. And I know there's others that will teach exactly what they had planned on teaching. We would be continuing our Exodus study. And and if Chuck were here, he'd probably tell me to go ahead and teach the Exodus study. It's probably exactly what he'd tell me because he goes, just go verse by verse. Don't make a big deal about me. And I'm really not making a big deal about Chuck. I want to make a big deal about what God did in Chuck. Because Chuck isn't any different than you or me. He's a man that was born. He's a man that has now passed on to be with the Lord. He's flesh just like you or I. There's nothing really distinctly different, but Christ made the difference in him. And I really believe, I'm 44 years of age. Chuck died at the age of 86 this past week, and he's almost twice my age. You know, God really began to bless his ministry in his early 40s. Interesting, huh? That's when, that's when God really started to pour out in his life, and that's when really Calvary Chapel was really born, and God began to do things, and Chuck wasn't looking to actually have something that he would point to. Uh, he was just saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I just want to present your word to a lost and dying world and to the saints, really, really just to edify and build up the saints. And I also think, uh, and when we look in our time, so I'm talking to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, are you sure? And now, I'm asking the Lord, even this morning, I've already, my notes are done, my study's done, I'm still saying, Lord, do you really, really, really want me to share this message and really kind of point to Chuck and say, this is what God did through this man's life? And I think God continued to give me that peace. That, yes, I do. We... When someone passes like a head of state, entire nations stop. John F. Kennedy passed. When different things have taken place, entire nations stop when a head of state dies. But, you know, the children of Israel, when Moses died, they mourned and they wept. And they just continued to remember what God had done in his life. And I think that we sometimes... In our day and age, we just kind of gloss over things. Well, just, uh, well, praise the Lord, he's with the Lord. I agree with that. Praise the Lord, he's not suffering anymore. I agree with that. But I believe the Lord wants us to do more than that. I believe he says, and I want you to learn, why do you think Moses and Paul were saying these parting words? Because God wants us to learn something from those who have gone before us. A lot of people, you know, there's even Calvary Chapel pastors, I've, I've heard them myself, they were like, eh, this, thankfully this is a rare thing. Thankfully this is rare. But I've even heard some say, yeah, it, it, God's doing a new work now. 
He's using, uh, there's, new, there's new things God wants to do, and I think that's sad because I believe that God, yes, is doing a new work, but he's by no means not speaking through those that have really fought battle after battle after battle after battle. You know, Billy Graham's 95 on November 7th. We're going to be showing on a Wednesday night here for Hope for America, we're going to show Billy Graham has been working all year on a one final message to America. Did you know that? All year he's been working on it. I now have it in my hands. I have not watched it yet. I kind of don't want to see it until I see it with you guys. I have the DVD. Well, um, no, I have the first one. I'm getting it this week. They, they told me, they called me and said, you'll be getting it this week because we're participating. Uh, and you can't see it live until they show it in November. We'll actually have it. We'll pick our night. I want to hear what God's been saying to Billy all this past year. He believes he has one last message. He's got, he'll outlive Chuck by at least nine years, as it is, at 95. He believes he has one last message to the country. I believe God wants to speak to him. You know, a lot of people want to hear from all the young, hip guys. Nothing wrong with the young, hip guys. God sometimes speaks some good things through them, too. But really, I want to hear from Moses. I want to hear from Paul. I want to hear from Joshua as he's in. I want to hear Elijah's last words before he hands things over to Elisha. Because I believe these are the men that God would say, listen to them. And, this, and so I've been talking to the Lord, I said, Lord, are you sure? You're sure? You're sure? You know, God's always sure. I'm, just, I'm the one that's not always sure. Lord, are you sure this is the message? And every now and then I will, I have this little app on my phone, and I rarely look at it. It's called God's Promises. I look at it probably once out of every 45 days or so. And I just, so let me look at it real quick. And I look at, guess what the verse was today? Job 12, 12. Wisdom is with the aged and with length of days understanding. <laughs> I said, Lord, I get it. You really do want us to learn something from Chuck's life. And you want us to remember it and to memorialize it. Not memorialize the man, but memorialize the work you did through him. And that's what we want to do here this morning. You know, this week, Pastor Greg, we did the Harvest Crusade, finished up uh, the Harvest America outreach. We, we did it here uh, Saturday and Sunday a week ago. Uh, last Sunday night, it was so beautiful. We had probably the most anointed time of closing prayer I've ever seen in this building. Not a dry eye. Uh, everybody just uh, praying together, and we were praying for uh, Paula and her, she, who also has stage four cancer, much like uh, our brother who's going to be with Lord Chuck. But uh, Pastor Greg uh, shared that final message uh, on the final night, and Greg said this week, uh, and I'll never forget when I saw on my phone the news that Chuck had passed. I knew it could come, but it still hit hard when I saw it. And Greg said this week, he says, rarely does a man come along that impacts a generation, but Chuck Smith was that man. And I really believe he was. Many of the world doesn't, many, many of your coworkers don't know who Chuck Smith is. He has passed. They wouldn't know. They knew when Michael Jackson passed, right? But they wouldn't know when Chuck Smith passed. They both lived in L.A., right? But they would know one but not the other. They would know when a great athlete passed, but they wouldn't necessarily. They would know when a famous businessman passed, Steve Jobs, another Californian. They would know when he passed, Right? but not when Chuck Smith passed. But many of the saints uh, d- would know. And matter of fact, when they do the memorial service at the end of this month, 
Uh, so many Christians will probably come there looking at like Angel Stadium and a few other places out there to do the memorial service because of many of the lives that are touched. And so many were touched, but still on the world scale, a blip on the radar. But he impacted a generation. Thousands have been saved. You know, these parting words um, from Moses and Paul are so priceless, so powerful, so poignant. I won't forget uh, the parting words I heard from Chuck. Now, three times in my life I heard Chuck in person. I heard Chuck many times listening to his teaching, listening to the word for today on the radio. Uh, a matter of fact, uh, when I had moved from Charlotte, uh, up, I moved from uh, Fort Lauderdale up to Charlotte in 1997, we moved, my wife and I, uh, before we had any children, we moved to Charlotte because there was better job opportunities there. We couldn't, uh, couldn't find uh, as good an employment in South Florida, so we moved there, and God brought us up there. And matter of fact, when we first got to Charlotte, there was no Calvary Chapel, and I got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. In my mind, there was no other church like Calvary Chapel. I now realize there's many other good churches. But at that time, I thought the only thing was Calvary Chapel. And in my mind, because that's where I got saved, and so we started going to a a church of God, which was such a blessing. Pastor Loran Livingston wasn't a Calvary Chapel. It was, a central, it was called Central Church of God. I still sometimes will go watch Loran teach. I love the brothers and sisters that we met there. But, but the Lord would later uh, call us to leave and start serving the tiny little startup Calvary Chapel in Charlotte, about 25 people. Uh, but while I was there and there was no Calvary Chapel, when the Lord had uh, been speaking to me about things like fasting, I would take my lunch break at Queens College and go over there and just listen to Chuck preach because it came right at my lunch hour, the word for today. And that, 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 that just soft voice of Chuck just going verse by verse through the Bible, uh, it was able to allow me. Fasting was really hard for me when I started. And just to sit there and hear God's word. So, but there, there was only one, before that I'd heard Chuck preach in person at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. One night we did an outdoor service, I'm sure my wife remembers it, big outdoor service in the parking lot. It was the first time I had heard Chuck speak in person. And then uh, I heard him at the uh, Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, the one I went out to in California uh, back in 2007, that was my second time. And then the last time I heard him speak in person was May 2012. Uh, he was already deep in his battle with cancer. Uh, he was in the middle of chemo treatment. So um, again, May 2012, not so far ago, uh, a little more, maybe about a year and a half ago now. And Chuck hadn't been to the East Coast at all in like 10 years, something eight to 10 years he had not been to the East Coast. His, uh, you know, his knees and his hips and just his general uh, age in his, in his 80s at that point, he didn't like to get on airplanes and travel because it was rather uncomfortable. Uh, but Pastor Joe Foch of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, uh, who's one of our more senior pastors in his own right, uh, but not, not, not up there with Chuck, uh, at least from an age perspective, uh, Joe really kind of pleaded with Chuck to come. And I, I don't know if Joe, Joe just kind of sensed that it would be our last opportunity for guys on the East Coast who can't afford to go to California to see Chuck speak in person, but Chuck decided okay, uh, I'll come, and, and Joe said, I'll send Don McClure to fly with you and pick you up and get on the plane and fly you out here. Uh, so Chuck, that particular uh, May 2012 uh, East Coast Pastors Conference, a thousand men there waiting, uh, and Chuck, that Sunday, after he had had chemo treatments late in the week, like Thursday, Friday, he had his chemo treatments, 
preached three Sunday morning services and did the Sunday night service. Then he, the following morning, he did some radio broadcasts. Then he gets on the plane and flies, changes time zones by four hours, comes to the East Coast and joins us that, that Monday night. And you just see him up there worshiping and praising as if he doesn't have cancer at all. Just uh, the service that night went till 1030 at night. Long night. And uh, there was Chuck just worshiping the whole time, ends up sharing with us. But when he gets up to speak, He's got to be incredibly tired, cancer racking his body, going through chemo. He's preached four times. He's flown on an airplane. This would wear out young people, much less someone in their 80s. He gets up, and Chuck gets up there with the biggest smile you could ever see, and you saw him lift the spirits of a thousand men. And really, in that, in that group, whenever you take a group any size, a group this size, some of you are really down today. Guarantee it. Some of you are feeling fantastic. Some of you, everything's going perfect. And some of you, it's been a really bad week, month, or maybe even a year. And Chuck would know that in a size audience of a thousand people, there would be pastors there that are almost ready to throw in the towel. There will be some pastors there that things are going outstanding. There will be some other pastors there that's somewhere in the middle. But Chuck, again, the Holy Spirit, you just saw the power of the Holy Spirit on him. And with this huge smile and a countenance that literally I felt like, it felt like the floor lifted up underneath us all. We could have stayed all night. It was amazing. And God does these things through anybody that's yielded to him. Amen? Now, of course... Chuck was not himself anything special. He would not say, hey, uh, I can lift the spirits of a thousand men. My strength can do all that. That was not, he really believed, again, as we all should believe, that Christ in us is the hope of glory, is the joy of our life, is the peace in our life. And because we've received much, we have much to give. And that's really what, what God wants to do in all of us. Chuck had received much from the Lord, and he was so joyful that God had given him so much grace. Not perfect life. He didn't have a per Again, you, you can read about some of his trials and tribulations. We all have them. But again, he always received God's manifold grace, and he was able to give that back out with a joy and a countenance. You know, his final messages. His final message to Costa Mesa was to be uh, strong in the faith of the Lord from Romans chapter 4. His final message uh, to the Calvary Bible College was uh, very recent as well. Only one life so soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. His final message is be strong in the Lord and only one life to live so soon will pass. Now that'll preach forever, folks. And those were his final messages. Of anything God could have had, him, those were the final words. His final words to us as pastors was to stand firm. Don't be moved by all the things that the world is saying you must do, you have to do, pastors you should do, churches you should do. He goes, don't, don't be moved. It was, like, it was like listening to Paul tell the Ephesians, be careful, don't be moved, cling to the word of God, for Jesus is coming soon. Remember hearing K.P. O'Hannon, uh, who's also uh, you know uh, was a dear friend of Chuck's, and K. 
KP believes that the 15,000 plus churches that have been planted in India are a direct result of Chuck's influence on KP's life and the way Chuck would teach verse by verse through the Bible and the way that they do that in India. And I remember KP saying that you know he was walking and just praying there in Texas and he was on a little hill and he sees the sun setting and the Lord telling KP just a few more years, just a few more years, keep faithful, keep walking. And of course, you know, Chuck, even in his final messages, even in his final messages there, and if you get the chance, go watch last Sunday. Just go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, go to the media page, go watch last Sunday's message, listen to his prayer, listen to his last message. Parting words are always so good for us to hear. But Chuck even shared his last messages with the same love, the same joy, the same simplicity, the same clarity that he's been doing for 60-plus years in pastoral ministry. You could best sum up Pastor Chuck this way. If you were thinking about all the things, if people had to sum up your life and who they believe you are, what would they say? Here's what I would say about Chuck. This is my observation. I asked my wife this morning, what, what would you sum up Chuck's life? And she said, faithful, steadfast, and joyful. My, my summing up, just summing up Chuck, was a humble servant with an awesome God. A humble servant with an awesome God. You know, Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus, they were lying on the ground. They were looking up into the sky and Lucy says this, she says, if you use your imagination, you can see lots of things in the cloud formations. What do you see, Linus? Linus responds, well, those clouds up there look like the map of the British Honduras on the Caribbean. And that cloud looks like the profile of Thomas Eakins, the famous painter and sculptor. And that group of clouds over there gives me the impression of the stoning of Stephen. I can see the Apostle Paul here to one side. Lucy congratulates him. Uh-huh, that's very good. What do you see in the clouds, Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown replies, well, I was going to say a ducky and a horsey, but I changed my mind. <laughs> oftentimes, oftentimes the intellect, the accomplishment, the success, the methods, the personalities of other people can intimidate us. Comparing ourselves to other people can cause a knee-jerk reaction, can it? It can cause us to try and be or act like something we're not. It can cause us to conform to majority opinion. Not majority truth, but majority opinion. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't learn from other people, that we shouldn't stretch ourselves, that we shouldn't receive and really allow God to speak through people and work on new muscles, especially the spiritual ones. But if you ever heard Pastor Chuck or have read the books he wrote, you know that Chuck became very comfortable being the man that God made him to be and allowing God and not himself to get the glory. True? Those of you who have heard him, you knew. He became comfortable in being who God made him be. Not to kind of, well, someone else sees all these, I, I better act like that. Pastor Chuck, he left an organized denomination and the methodology of that denomination to ultimately follow the Lord's leading with a very simple approach of teaching people to accept and walk in the grace 
of the Lord and allow the Word of God, not screaming, not scripting, not entertaining, not browbeating, but just trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. He believed that. That God, if I just be who you made me to be, don't mimic everybody else, don't act like everybody else, don't do all these other theatrics, don't, you know, and, and, and really some people, it's not theatrics, that's who God made them. Other people, it's just trying to cookie cut everything, right? Chuck said, I'll just be who you've made me to be, I'm going to teach your word and, and teach people to receive grace and walk in grace. That's simple. And he believed that God would then do a miraculous work in their life if he would simply teach that. Now, Pastor Chuck, he wasn't perfect. This is not a, this, this is not a eulogy or a memorial. Again, I want to talk about what God did through a man so we can actually appreciate, can he do the same things through us? And I believe he can. Pastor Chuck wasn't perfect. He made his share of mistakes. And haven't we all? Haven't we? And so did the saints of old. Read about Jacob. Read about David. Read about Peter and others. And you'd say, wow, they they didn't do it all right, did they? They had some mistakes along the way. They had some things worthy of criticism. They had these things. But God's grace covered and corrected and their lives in Chuck's life, while multiplying the fruit in Pastor Chuck's life and in the ministry. If you're taking notes, I just want to look briefly at three things that, again, I, I thought about from my own, this is my take, if you ask a thousand other Christians that were, that were blessed by Chuck's life, I think that some of the things they would observe would be similar to my list, similar to my wife's list. There would be a lot of commonality because Chuck Again, the fruit of the Spirit in his life was so evident that I believe that the common responses would be a short list. But the three things that come to mind for me when I look at Chuck's life and his example to me as a pastor and just as a brother in Christ. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd still see these things, I believe. But as a pastor, they're that much more valuable to me. But the three things are availability, humility, and authority. Availability, humility, and authority. If you look at that acronym, it's called AHA. It's an AHA moment when we can receive from God what He wants to do in our life by being available, by being humble, and submitting under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. AHA. It's like everything opens up. Now, I didn't start out trying to come up with that, I just saw the acronym. But these things, availability, humility, and authority, I believe, lead to multiplicity. God then blessing the work of our life, the work of our hands, all that God wants to do in you and me. You know, uh, when you think about uh, availability, you know, Pastor Chuck, he knew it was never about talent or skills or ability. You know, Chuck was a very bright man. Uh, but and, and, he, and he could have been successful at just about anything he chose to do. But he was willing to say, Lord, what do you want me to be? Actually, he was, uh, I was bivocational for six years. I worked in the business world while pastoring this church from 2007 till uh, September of 2012 last year. I just finished my one year as a full-time pastor supported by you and the fellowship 
but six years uh, I was supported by the business world and taught. Now, Pastor Chuck did that for 18 years. But when you've been 60-some years of ministry, you kind of forget that the 40-some-plus were full-time. And the fir- Hard to believe, huh? I thought my six would nearly kill me. But anyway, uh, you, you learn a lot along the way that nothing that you can do is of any value. It has to be the Lord. But you have to be available. You have to be saying, Lord, you take whatever this empty vessel, and that's your life, that's my life, and I just want to surrender it and be available to your work. Pastor Chuck said this, he said, I didn't want to direct the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to find out how the Holy Spirit was moving and get in the boat and move with him. Isn't that what we all want or should want? We don't, we're not here to dictate to God how God will work. So Lord, I just want to get in the boat with you, go across the Galilee. If that means storms, that means storms. If that means you take me here, that means you take me here. If that means you want to do this type of work in me. If you want our church to be this type of ministry or that type of ministry or this type of calling, the Lord, we want the Holy Spirit to do the work. I sometimes have people ask me, I don't get it asked a lot, but every now and then I ask people, say, do you hope our church gets larger or stays the same size? I'll get that question every now and then. And I might have my preferences and reasons, and I believe that they're spiritual and biblical reasons, uh, but I might have my preference and reasons, but at the end of the day, it's whatever God wants to do is what I tell people. It has nothing to do with what I want. Now, he will give me the desires of my heart as long as they match his heart. He won't give you the desires of your heart if it's not God's heart. So you want to first be available that your heart becomes like God, and then you really can say, Lord, thy will be done. Whatever that is. Whatever the Lord wants to do. Everything belongs to him. Every church, every family, every household. Lord, are we available to do what you want to do? I personally... I didn't even choose to go into the ministry. I, I, I rather enjoyed the business world. Not that I would, you know, I, I wasn't there to, I, wanted, I didn't want to be rich. I, didn't want, I wanted to serve the Lord, but I, I really enjoyed other problem solving and type thing. I believe the same with Chuck and anyone that's called. He was not seeking what God did. He was saying yes to what God was saying. And if you're available... God will accomplish what he sets out to do. He had, a, he had Chuck's entire life mapped out long before Chuck ever understood what that would look like. And the same should be true for you and me. If we're available to the Lord, he's going to order our steps according to his word. He ha- you, you and I have no idea what the Lord has in store five months from now, five years from now, how God could use you to bring your grandkids grandchildren to Christ, how God could bring you, use you to your, with your co-workers, how God could use you with a family member that hasn't talked to you in years and doesn't, maybe, I went to the hospital uh, the other night, uh, another Calvary Chapel pastor called me, it was on Thursday, I had just, uh, I had, that was the day that Chuck had passed and I had spent time uh, really just with the Lord a number of different ways, just uh, hearing from the Lord and then I get a call late afternoon from another Calvary pastor saying, uh, would you be willing to go down to MCV for me and minister to a family that is related to a family in our church? And uh, I said, yeah, I, I have come to really embrace ministering to people in hospitals. 
because I've seen that people are really open to the Lord when the, when, when the chips are way down. And, and really, it's, it's a blessing for us as people that have the peace of God in our hearts to bring peace to people who don't have peace and to bring comfort to people who are not comforted. This is what Jesus did. He said, he said to come to comfort the brokenhearted. So I, I, I ride on down there. I don't know this family at all. I've never met them. And the first one I meet was one uh, sister, and she then tells me, she goes, we don't get along that well in the family. There's no one else in the room but her. I'm like, Where, where'd that come from? I didn't ask that question. I don't know if she was trying to forewarn me. We don't get along that well. We don't communicate that well. We don't like each other that much. Or I, it, it, something that, and I just start, Lord, how can I bring your peace to this place? How can I bring your word? It ended up being a beautiful time. Got them all to hold hands around the bed, pray over the father that had a stroke. See, God wants us. He's the one that directs your path. You don't know what God's going to have you do next week or where he's going to take you. The question is, are we going to be available for what the Lord wants to do? You know, Pastor Chuck, to make sure that he was available, he would go out in the desert at times, uh, especially early in his ministry, uh, and he would go out in the desert and take um, jugs of water to stay hydrated, and he would just fast and pray for the Lord's direction. That's a good model for us all. Not, we don't have any desert around here, but you can't go out to the desert. But the question is, do you take time to wait and hear from the Lord? The Apostle James, he was the younger brother, or half-brother of Jesus, because obviously Jesus' father was God, and James' father was Joseph. But the younger brother of Jesus, the Apostle James, was known as Camel Knees. He would pray 8 to, 12, eight to 10 hours a day. 8 to 10 hours a day to hear from the Lord. Now, you and I, we're not required to do that. He had a, that was God's calling for him. But we are required to pray without ceasing and to continually be available to the voice of God. And God may tell you, hey, change your dinner plans tonight and invite that family over that no one else has ever invited over. Are you open to it? Are you available to minister to someone that you didn't have in mind, that God says, hey, call so-and-so, hey, invite your coworker. Yeah, don't invite them to church, just invite them to your house for dinner. He'll do the other stuff later. Are we really available to God's plan? Are we emptied of our own selves? Are we hearing him in prayer and in his word? Billy Graham, as I mentioned, turned 95 this year. He said, we can hold nothing back from God. He must control and dominate us wholly. It is a surrender without any conditions attached. This surrender is definite and, con and a conscious act on our part in obedience to the word of God. Availability. What about humility? Again, I, another thing that I think uh, was paramount in Chuck's life was, was a humble spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, we were just, uh, well, actually, we're still in the Ro Romans 12. We'll be in Romans 12 this Wednesday night. He says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. None of us have a right to think highly of ourselves anyway. Even your best day, I've said this many times, I'm going to say it, you're going to get tired of it by the time I'm 86, but uh, uh, you, the, the best day you have ever had the most spiritual day you've ever had, the high water mark of the most spiritual day you've ever walked is filthy rags to the Lord. Even your righteousness, 
Billy Graham's most fantastic day. Chuck Smith's most fantastic day. Charles Spurgeon back in the day. It doesn't matter who you want to pick. They're most incredibly anointed. They only sinned a half a time that day. No such thing as a half sin. But I'm just making the point. Filthy rags. We have no reason to think highly of ourselves. Observing Pastor Chuck and men like him, I believe without a doubt that, that humility is the number one character trait that God desires in leadership. It's, it's exactly what's lacking in the world's leaders so often, isn't it? It's why they believe. It's why executives believe they deserve a $12 million bonus while they'll lay off a thousand people. That's, is that true or not true? They truly believe in their value. They are worth a $12 million bonus while I lay off a thousand people. I'm that valuable. If they die of a heart attack, what happens to the company? Rolls on like nobody's business. They're not that valuable. Nobody's that valuable. Jesus is that valuable and more. But the rest of us, again, humility is what God is looking for in leadership. This was the attitude of our Savior who laid off all that he had in heaven, laid it aside, and actually said, I'll go die on a Roman cross. You talk about a humbling experience. I'll bleed naked and die on a Roman cross for people who are prideful and arrogant enough to spit on me while I do it. Unbelievable, the humility of Christ, and that's what he wants in us. Now this week, uh, Dr. Ed Stetzer, uh, he is uh, with Lifeway Research. He wrote his thoughts, and he um, recorded uh, this week, uh, again on Thursday or Friday, uh, he recounted the letter he got, or the note that he got from Pastor Chuck last summer after Ed had spoken to a group of Calvary Chapel pastors, and he had really kind of said some wonderful things about Chuck and, and the ministry God had done through Chuck around the world, a couple thousand churches at Calvary Chapels, 15,000, you know, with Gospel for Asia, all the saints that have been saved, all the pastors have been raised up. And Chuck wrote Ed back this. This is, again, Chuck said, Chuck Chuck rarely would type something. I don't know if he typed it himself or, or if he had someone else type it up. But anyway, it was sent to Ed, and it was Chuck's words. It's at, least, at minimum, Chuck dictated this. He says, Dear Ed, thanks for the kind words you have said about the ministry of Calvary Chapel. In the last part, you mentioned Calvary as my ministry. I do not consider this my ministry, as I feel as a blessed spectator watching the glorious sovereign moon of God and marvel continually at his work. Thanks again for blessing our people at this conference. May the Lord continue to use you to encourage others and how to be more effective in serving our Lord in him, Chuck. Chuck said, it's not my ministry. It's not my work. It was all the Lord. Now, Ed, in his response to all of us and the article he wrote uh, late last week, he said, now that he's with the Lord, I will tell you that Chuck was wrong. He was not just a blessed spectator. Though I'm thankful he thought of himself that way. He was a bold and courageous man that was used by God in amazing ways. Now, let other people think, I agree with Ed, Chuck was more than a blessed spectator. Because he was available, he was not a spectator, he was on the field of battle. But he thought of himself that way, 
And if all leaders, whether your dads, whether in your business, whether the pastor, if we all think of ourselves as not all that much, God will do much. Humility comes first and, and is most important. Uh, humble men are teachable and flexible. Uh, pa- pastor Pancho Juarez, he, he tweeted out, he said, um, blessed are the flexible, Chuck 1-1. One, one. Chuck believed that humble men would be flexible, willing to, willing to allow things to be adjusted, hearing from other men. Again, not modeling ourselves, at, not, not molding ourselves and copying others, but being willing to hear it. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, how many have ever heard the Bible bus on the radio? Chuck was greatly influenced by Dr. McGee's Bible bus going verse by verse of the Bible, and he says, that's it. I need to stop coming up with a topical Christian message every single Sunday and just preach the Bible. And that's what he did. He would go on to go through the Bible somewhere between 10 and 15 times over, six, over 40 years in the Calvary Chapel time, just teaching the ver- verse by verse. And he learned that from Dr. Vernon McGee. Teachable. Be, being able to hear from other men, not... I know all the things there is to know. None of us know everything. I learn something every day. Matter of fact, the one thing I learn every day is how little I know. Every day, learning, being humble to be able to receive from the Lord, and he will speak through other people as well. Simplicity. Part of Chuck's humility is found in his simplicity. Simplicity in and of itself is a form. Jesus was so, his lifestyle was so simplistic because he was humble. If his life wasn't simplistic, he would be able to show everyone, look how complex my life is. People wear their busyness as some sort of badge. I got lots going on. You never heard Jesus say, I have a lot going on. He had a lot going on, but he wouldn't say he had a lot going on. He would just go through Samaria and change plans to meet a woman at the well. But Chuck was simple in his approach. And that's humility of itself. Chuck never wanted to cloud the simplicity. He just wanted to trust in the Lord. Not what everybody else was doing. Oh, man, uh, all the other pastors have added this. They've built a crystal uh, building. They've done this. They've done that. Maybe I need to do that stuff. And the Lord would say, no, no, stay simple. He was open to new works of the Lord, but he didn't want to make new works of the Lord a production of man. A new work of the Lord had to come from the Lord, not market it from the Lord. Another aspect of his humble life is just the way Chuck carried himself. Many people that have been given positions of leadership, they carry themselves differently than before they had lead. Now, granted, leaders must carry themselves in a way that can model leadership. I'm not talking about that. We need to be all of us that are leaders, you, you dads need to be good models in the home, good examples in the home. But don't carry leadership with a prideful disposition. That wasn't the way Chuck operated. I've seen many leaders, they have a stoic disposition. I'm not talking about their personality. I'm talking about a manufactured attempt to, this is, I want to portray this type of position. Chuck didn't do that. Some people try and look so professional and so polished that they're unapproachable. And that sometimes is by design. 
to be unapproachable. That wasn't Chuck. He wanted to be, hippies could come up to him. Anybody could come up to him. Later on, you know, when uh, hip-hop generation, Chuck invited two rappers from London to, 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 to a bunch of Calvary pastors. Approachable. Not so, you know, coiffed and all these different things. He always had a smile on his face, encouraging other people. Again, being able to come down to people's level but still bless them, not having people bless him. A lot of leaders, uh, again, it's like a pharaoh complex. Everyone needs to bless me and bow down to me. And that wasn't Chuck. He was the opposite. He would, how could I minister to them? And, of course, we see that same thing in Jesus' life. Pastor Chuck, he always had a smile, always gracious to people of any background. As I mentioned, he welcomed the hippies uh, in when many other people were avoiding them or condemning them. He never tried to look important, but rather he wanted to look like the hands and feet of Jesus. Not look important, look like the Lord. He was forgiving. Uh, Chuck helped restore people when they had fallen. Do you restore people that have fallen? Because guess what? People fall. People will blow it. They might even blow it against you. They might even talk behind your back. They might even say something you can't believe that they would say. Somebody might do you, but Chuck would restore such a, pe- such a person. Restoring people. He let the Lord fight his battles. Are you trying to fight your own battles? Be humble. Let, let God fight them. We don't need to fight every battle. Let the Lord fight the battles. He would deal with criticism. He would deal with gossip. He would deal with attacks. He had the trials of life, and yet he always had a countenance of joy in the midst of those things. You know, everyone goes through all those things, right? They're magnified the higher you are in leadership. The question is, how will you handle it? Will you still have the countenance of joy? Will you still stay humble? Will you still allow the Lord to fight those battles? And Chuck didn't let the battles and the trials of life steal his joy. Are you allowing things in your life to steal the joy of the Lord from your life? Or are you able to just march through it with the joy of the Lord and say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. No matter what's coming, whether it's physical, whether it's attacks, whether it's trials, whether it's financial, all the things, and they're all out there, aren't they? And what will you do with them? Will you walk in joy? There was once a young boy who went to spend the week with his grandfather on the farm. While walking around, he noticed the chickens... They were scratching and playing around. The little lad said, they ain't got it. Next he saw a colt in the field playing and kicking up his heels, to which he replied, he ain't got it. After examining all the animals on his grandfather's farm and see that none of them had it, this boy finally found the old donkey in the barn. When he saw the donkey's long, frowning face and the way the donkey just stood there, He screamed for his grandfather to come quick. He said, I found it. I found it. The boy kept yelling. When his grandfather asked what he found, he said, Pawpaw, I found an animal that has the same kind of religion you have. (laughs) But that wasn't Chuck's countenance. He would lift the spirits, even if he himself was dealing with chemotherapy, criticism, just tired, trials, 
battles, things. He would lift the spirits of others because the joy of the Lord flowed through his face. And folks, again, I believe if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. And he'll give us the joyful countenance that we so need. Chuck wasn't just a humble man uh, filled with joy and sincerity, but he was given authority. I want to close with the last point. Again, my observation of his life. Again, you have your own. I have mine. But then again, when I look at Chuck, I see Chuck was given authority. He wasn't seeking authority. He was given authority. And by the way, most men that are given authority in the Bible were not seeking it. Gideon was not seeking it. Moses, not seeking it. David, not seeking it. Most men that are given authority from God, I'm not talking about people who are pursuing authority. I want to be CEO of a company. I want to be president. I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be the leader. I want to be the big shot. Whatever it is, most of the men that God chooses weren't seeking authority God gave. The disciples were busy fishing for fish or doing their tax collector job, and Jesus says, come, follow me. All authority has been given to me, and then he gave it to them, right? Authority, Chuck's authority was given by grace and God's divine will. Now, Chuck walked in authority by obedience and faithfulness, and he earned the respect of authority through love and humility. I'll read that one more time. Chuck was given authority by grace and God's divine will. He walked in authority through obedience and faithfulness, and he earned the respect of authority through love and humility. Now, this is particularly the case in the body of Christ. You won't necessarily earn authority in the world with love and humility. Matter of fact, the world, and same time in Paul's day, the Greeks looked at that as a weakness. If you walked in love and humility, that was considered lowly, weak. That wasn't the Greek gods, nor was that the upper aristocracy of the Greco-Roman period. Love and humility is earned in the body of Christ, but it's walked out in faithfulness, but the authority is given by the Lord. And I tell you what, think about that progression for a moment, dads. This is a recipe for godly success and the blessings of God in your life. Make my point. Dads, you did not pursue the authority of the household. God has given it to you by having a family and children. Now, you can relinquish that authority. You can cast it off. You can abuse the authority. All the above are happening in America today, right? We go see the kids at Bonaire. They have dads that have relinquished the authority, abused the authority, misinterpreted the authority. But again, if it's given by the Lord as a father, and this is true for everything, manager, leader, pastor, you're given a position by the Lord. Now, if you'll then walk in it obedient unto the Lord in the word and in faithfulness and in love and humility, you won't mistreat your wife. You won't mistreat your children. You won't short sell the truths of God. You'll teach the whole counsel of God. You'll do it in love and humility. You'll actually care about people. Then when you actually give something that's difficult for people to hear, they actually know you love them. It's done in love and it's in grace. It's a recipe for God's blessing. The pastors 
like myself and many others, we willingly submitted to Chuck's authority that we don't have some hierarchical bishop structure or you know, large national convention or any of that stuff. We simply submit to a man that we see walking in obedience and say, I need to listen to what he says. I still have to pray about my own things, but I need to be able to submit, and we do. So many people hunger for authority. They hunger for power. They hunger for position, and they misuse it as fathers, as managers, as leaders, as bosses, and even pastors. We see it again and again. As I mentioned last week, it bears mentioning again from the late Adrian Rogers, who Chuck is now with in heaven. He said, submission and authority are two sides of the same coin. If you didn't catch it last week, I don't usually use the same quote two weeks in a row, but I didn't know Pastor Chuck was going to pass either. And he's a great example of submission and authority being two sides of the same coin. The other authority, though, that was so important is Chuck knew that all authority was under the Word of God. And that's why he believed in teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, went through the entire Bible somewhere between 10 and 15 times in 40-plus years. He knew that the authority of God's Word was his ministry. You know, even the world recognizes the authority of God's Word as being paramount in Chuck's ministry. uh, uh, Last week, also on the 3rd, the LA Times uh, had this to say about Pastor Chuck. I won't read the whole article, but he said, in his church, uh, Christopher Gofford is uh, is the writer for the LA Times of this article. This was on Thursday. He said, in his church office, Pastor Chuck Smith kept a crown made of thorns and a jar full of candy. The thorns were from the Holy Land. The candy was for his grandkids. The image suggested his special appeal as a preacher. You've got you to love the next line here. A harsh, old-school Christianity delivered with grandfatherly sweetness. He was, it goes on to say a few paragraphs down, he was a biblical literalist who believed staunchly in hell. Oh, by the way, I still do. Armageddon, yes, that's coming. And the sinfulness of homosexuality, but from the pulpit and in person, he, he, uh, emanated, he emanated a disarming warmth. His church became famous as a sanctuary for a generation of counterculture refugees. He wore a Hawaiian shirt and a big benevolent smile. You know what? There are things. The great the gospel means good news. Jesus said, "Go preach the gospel, the good news that God is willing to forgive man of their sins." Well. The gospel is only good news if you know how bad the bad news. The bad news is we're born in sin, and if we die in sin, we'll live in hell for all eternity. So that sounds really harsh when people hear, they, well, hold on, the same God that loves me would actually send me to hell? No, 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 he's not sending you. You're already going there. He's trying to pull you out of going there. And that's why the revolutionary countercultures would actually hear and say, we know we've sinned. We've been dropping acid, doing this, doing that. And God would forgive us. Yes, God will forgive you of those things. But you must turn to him and he'll help you clean up and walk in his spirit. But even the LA Times, even though they mocked Chuck, that was some backhanded compliments there. Harsh Christianity, all the kind of, you know, really kind of putting down the biblical literalist in him, believing all those things will come to pass. Uh, Peter wrote that they will be mockers in the end times. He's mocking what Chuck believed, but you know what? He couldn't deny that Chuck was kind and gracious and loving. And you know what? The world may not like everything that the Bible has to say, but the harshness needs to come from the Word of God, not from you or me. 
we need to be kind, loving, and gracious. And that Chuck was. And he could actually have that L.A. Times writer probably sit down with him. And even though the L.A. Times writer may be in his mind thinking, I don't believe a thing this guy believes in, but i got to say, he's awful nice. That can be the window that God pricked the heart. Amen? And I believe that kind of authority, using the Word of God, standing on the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, is what we must do, what this ministry must do, what I must do, what you must do. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chuck believed that by teaching the Word of God, we could disciple from the pulpit, and then we would continue that discipleship um, with others. In his book, Grace Changes Everything, he says, many people have a great unfounded fear that the grace of God will li- lead to sinful living. But he knew, Paul, Paul dealt with that in the book of Romans, by the way. We've been going through that. But Chuck knew that if we truly teach the Word of God, God explains the things that worry people, the things that confuse, well, I can't really preach that kind of grace because people will go live in a license. No, but the, if we go verse by verse, Paul then goes to address that very concept. And that's why he believed it was so important that the authority of God's word, that just to not shun any passage, not shun any chapter, just go through the whole thing, allow the Lord to work. I also love, uh, he said, speaking of uh, just the work that God does in the body of Christ, he talks about the work that the Lord does is a garden, not a factory. That God is there to produce fruit, not works. The big difference. A lot of ministries turn into factories instead of gardens. That's a very, I, when I read, I was going back and rereading things and I was like, man, I needed to re, I'm going to reread a bunch of stuff from Chuck because it's good for me to reflect on, wow, that's ministry, not a factory, a garden. Gardens take time. You got to weed, you got to plant, you got to let the Lord put the sunlight in and the rain in and all that stuff. But what comes from it is real genuine fruit. Last thing, he, last thing I'll say that was really encouraging to me, and I've been guilty of not doing this at times, uh, again, not realizing, you and I, we always want to be used by the Lord, but he told us all as pastors, a thousand pastors there, he said, when you preach the word of God, don't preach to the empty seats, preach the sheep God's given you. Every pastor has preached to empty seats. Chuck's done it. We've all done it. We preach to the things that we see out there, and sometimes instead of lifting up and building up and encouraging the people that are the sheep that are in the seats, and he told that to all the pastors. I think everyone else were like, yeah, uh, that's good. It's, it's a tendency in life. We always look to things other than what God wants us focused on. Preach to the sheep you've been given. In your own home, make sure you're teaching your children. Don't neglect them for other things, the empty seats of out in the world. And God wants to fill empty seats with new converts, with new fruit, but which starts with building up and encouraging uh, the ones that are with us. And I'm so thankful for, uh, personally, I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Um, I believe, though, I really believe, when you look at Chuck's life, and again, this isn't to magnify Chuck, it's to magnify what God did in obedience in his life. But I believe if you and I would stay available, if we would stay humble, if we'd walk 
under the authority and in the authority of the Word of God, not our own opinion, and in the blessedness of the Holy Spirit, I believe we'd see the revival we prayed for at the beginning of this service. I believe that. But we would have to be available. We would have to be humble. We would have to be yielded under the authority of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think we'll see that the same thoughts that Chuck had, we would get to the end of our life and look back and be an amazed spectator of all that God had done. Now Jesus said in Matthew 13, 23, and this is where God multiplies. God doesn't do the same work in Charles Stanley and Billy Graham, right? And Chuck Smith and your life or my life. Everyone's different. Jesus said, but he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understand it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Chuck would be the first to tell you there is men in this world just as faithful as him that would never have a, never have a, a, a service that could fill Angel Stadium. Pastor Saeed in an Iranian prison is every bit as faithful as Pastor Chuck, but it's a different calling. Amen? The question is, are we available to our calling and not try and be like Charlie Brown, I must mimic Linus. That's not what God wants. He says, no, just, just be who I asked you to be, but be available. And he will, he will take us out of our comfort zone, but it will still be the plan he has for us. And I tell you what, the beautiful thing is, even though no matter what mistakes you've made or things you've done, today is the first day of the rest of your life. You can have a fresh start.